before we jump into this episode, we are putting together something special for December. And so we need you to call into our listener hotline and tell us about the most memorable gift you've been given. It's really easy to do this. And we promise that this line does not ring anywhere at all. It just gives you a chance to record your message to us. So just call the number 208-741-3880 and tell us about your most memorable gift. We can't wait to hear your stories. Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 109 of the Adoption Connection podcast. Today, we have the honor of interviewing two adult adoptees who've written a really special book, Rooted in Adoption, a collection of adoptee reflections. And Melissa, you got to interview them. Yeah, so I was really excited to connect to Veronica and Shelby. They both live in Florida, which is, I think, how they connected. Um, Veronica was born in New Orleans and adopted as an infant in a closed adoption. And she graduated from the University of New Orleans with a degree in art. And then now she's also a pre-licensed therapist. So she went on to get a master's in mental health counseling. And Shelby was born in Korea and adopted by a white couple, kind of like me in the probably around the same time. Um, She actually came home a little bit later, just before she turned one. And then in 2012, she started documenting and interviewing um, folks who had been adopted or were in the foster care system. And so with Veronica's art degree and Shelby's film background, they got together and partnered on this book we talk a little bit about it in the interview. It's just a fantastic book. It's just unedited, you know, entries by people who are just writing about their story. And I did have a chance to read it. And, you know, some people just wrote a couple sentences and some people wrote a couple pages. And so I think it does a beautiful job of what something that I talk about a lot here on the podcast, which is every story is so, so different. And I thought this book gave such a beautiful space of diversity to just listening to adoptee voices. And I know that's really important to a lot of you who are listening. So here's my conversation with Shelby and Veronica. Shelby and Veronica, welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thanks for having us. So I wanted to start by just having each of you share a little bit about your stories. All three of us are adoptees, which is kind of fun. Um, So just tell us a little bit about your experience. Uh, Yeah, I guess kind of give us like the one or two minute overview of, of your story and, you know, what you remember and what your experience as an adoptee was. Shelby, do you want to jump in? Sure. I'll jump in. Um, so I am adopted from Korea. I was about one years, almost one years old when I flew over, over on a plane with other Korean babies back in the early 1980s. Um, and that's when I first met my parents. And then we, uh, we moved to Florida. It was, I, uh, first lived in Maryland up until I was around eight or nine. And then we moved to Florida. Um, and I grew up in a predominantly white community. So uh, for a long time, I didn't want to be Asian, but I never actually like explained that to my parents, you know, when kids would, would make fun of the way I looked or my eyes. Um, but 
about adoption, my mom and dad were very open and they created a very safe environment for me to talk about uh, all the different range of emotions that I had, you know, if they were positive or negative or if I were mad at them, you know, um, so they were really good about that. Even my mom went to conferences where adoptees spoke. So she tried to get as much as she could uh, information wise about adoption and, and the trauma that could be from adoption um, in, the, in the 1980s when, you know, what was there is much more limited to what is available now for resources. Um, and they also adopted my brother Garrett from Korea too. We're not biologically related. So it was, uh, for me, I was really glad that we could share that, you know, because we didn't know that many other adopted kids. And then when I was 17, I went on a homeland tour to South Korea with my family and with some other adoptive families. And I was able to meet my, uh, first mother there and my, um, aunt and then also my foster mom and so it was like a dream come true and then um, later was kind of the aftermath of everything you know about processing the whole trip and the circumstances of my relinquishment yeah did, did your family kind of connect you to Korean culture growing up before your trip yes what it's so funny I'm plugged into a lot of different uh support groups on on Facebook for adoptees and just adoptive families and just resources for parents. And they call it kind of the postcard culture experience. So I, I would say that I definitely had that where, you know, they, they um, exposed my brother and I to the food and um, not the language. They really wanted us to be put into a Korean school on the weekends to kind of learn more about the culture. But I guess the person, like the main contact person there basically advised us against us, us going because the kids would make fun of us, like because we weren't um, being raised by Korean parents, we weren't really Korean, like we were KBAs. So that was kind of, that was hard to hear, you know, that it, you're always trying to find your place, you know, in the world and where you fit in, especially as a kid, that's like really, really hard. And then the Korean American group wasn't even going to accept you. So, but yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a good experience, but we also did Taekwondo. I got a second degree black belt. Um, so yeah, we got some, <laughs> so I know a few words in Korean. Yeah. That's basically where the most of my Korean vocabulary these days comes from too, is Taekwondo. Um, I'm sorry you had that experience. I, I want to jump back to something you said about processing your journey in your twenties, but I, I want Veronica to jump in here and, and share a little bit about her story first. I was also um, born uh, through a closed adoption, like Shelby in the early 80s. And my parents brought me home when I was six weeks old. I think it was evident from early on that the trauma was there. Um, of course, my adoptive parents, they didn't really understand, you know, the trauma associated with adoption. Like I think a lot of people didn't realize back then when they brought me home, whenever they would touch me, I would shake. And this is something that they said I did throughout the entire six weeks that I was waiting to be placed. Whenever somebody would touch me, I would shake. You know, at one point, my dad even told me he was concerned about that, and they had even considered bringing me back. <laughs> I don't know why that's something he would tell me. I wish that they had the education that people have now to understand about the trauma uh, that comes with adoption like we know today because clearly that's what it came from, the separation from the birth mother, which we know now. Um, my whole life, I had pretty much wanted to know more about where I came from, like a lot of adoptees do. 
um, my mom, my adoptive mom was also an adoptee. And a lot of people think that because my adoptive mom was an adoptee, that it made it easier for me because I would have somebody that could relate to me and understand. But that wasn't the case. My mom actually, um, I guess because she was born during a different era and the relationship with her parents was different. Um, I believe she was adopted through the foster care system. So she wasn't a newborn when she was adopted. So her views on it were a little bit different. She wasn't open about talking uh, about her experiences and her emotions regarding adoption as much. So nobody really asked me how I felt about my adoption. So a lot of times I kept my emotions inside. I didn't really discuss it with anybody. Um, Whenever I did, my parents didn't really, I guess I feel like they didn't approach it in the best way they could have. Um, Because it was a closed adoption, I didn't have any information. I had very little information, I'm sorry, very little on my birth parents. And it did not have their names on it. I had no pictures. I had absolutely nothing. I think the piece of paper I had had their weight, their height, their skin complexion, and if they had any talents. And one day, I remember being in high school, and I believe my school pictures had just come back. And I asked my parents, I said, you know, I just want to know who I look like. Who do I look like? And my dad just jumps in and said, you look like yourself. That was it. He didn't really try to process the emotions I was going through or asking anything else about it. He was pretty quick to say that. So when you have experiences like that growing up in your adoptive home, you know, it makes it hard because you don't know how their reaction is going to be when you start to talk about your adoption. And it's not to say that my parents didn't love me. Um, you know, they gave me everything, uh, as for like, you know, the education and like, you know, I did all kinds of hobbies and they were very supportive of those, uh, whatever I participated in. It's just that emotionally, I feel like they didn't, they weren't there for me in the best way they could have been. And uh, I also want to point out that my, both my adoptive parents are black and I am also black. I know that's a shock to a lot of people when I do tell them that I am adopted. uh, One of their first questions is usually, are your parents black? Because I guess a lot of times uh, when African-American babies are adopted, you usually hear about them being adopted into white families. Hmm. How do you think that shaped your adoption? What do you think the benefits have been of being able to be adopted into a family where all your skin more or less matches, you know, culturally or, you know, it's not considered a transracial adoption? Um, I mean, it could be, um, could be considered multicultural. Because, you know, even though I am African-American, you know, Black people, you know, just like anybody else, were mixed. Um, My adoptive mom is, she's half white. She identifies as a Black person. So, you know, she is Black, if you ask her. She looks more on the fair, her complexion is more fair on the fair side. Her features are more European dominated. Um, I also have people in my family who have uh, Filipino descent. So, you know, even though, you know, we all consider ourselves African-American and I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm from New Orleans. So being from New Orleans, Louisiana, we have a lot of Creoles in New Orleans. And for anybody that doesn't know what Creole is, back then it usually meant um, 
a black person who may have been on the fair complexion side. They had the ancestry of, you know, African, you know, French, Spanish, and different things. So my grandparents were also black. That's what they identified as, but they were also very, very light complexioned and things like their hair was not the same texture as mine. So just because my family was black, there are also those differences that uh, were pretty evident. And uh, I remember when I first started searching for my birth mother, I went to some adoption support groups and there were not um, a lot of black adoptees there. I think there might've been one other girl in one of the groups I went to and they had spoken about being adopted into a family that was lighter complexioned than she was. And in the black community, we have something called colorism, um, which, you know, it not only happens in the black community, but other races as well, where sometimes you're perceived to be better than somebody else because your skin is a lighter shade. And that happens all the time in the black community. So there are adoptees, you know, that just because they were adopted into a Black family, they're still dealing with issues like that. That isn't something that's talked about a lot, that aspect of colorism and things. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You said you searched for your birth family. Uh, were you successful in reuniting with them? Uh, yes, I was still getting my undergrad degree, so I was probably in my early 20s. And like I said, I had absolutely no information on my birth family doll, I had no names, I had absolutely nothing. It took me about eight years. I went through different searchers, I went through search angels, and I mean, I just was having no luck at all. And then Hurricane Katrina happened in the middle of my search, and everybody just got misplaced everywhere. I was nervous that records, you know, were gonna be lost because of my adoption. Um, probably maybe a year or so after the storm passed, um, a friend of mine said, you know, I know somebody who runs a company. She's extremely good at what she does. I think you should give her a call. She said, it's probably going to be expensive, but if you want results, uh, this is definitely who you need to contact. And I went ahead and contacted her and she found my birth family probably within 48 hours, I want to say. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, so I did uh, re speak with my birth mother and some other members of my birth family, and unfortunately, it didn't really go um, too well. My birth mother was not as welcoming as I hoped she had, as I hoped she would be. Uh, she was not honest with me about a lot of information. She was not forthcoming with who my birth father was, or even the half brother that I still have that's out there. She wouldn't tell me any information on him. She was really upset that I found out who she was. It's like she had intended to take that secret to the grave with her. Yeah, that must have been really hard after all that searching. Yeah. Shelby, can you talk a little bit about your experience and kind of what you expected, uh, at least emotionally, you know, when you went on a homeland tour and, and you were able to meet some of your birth family, what your experience was actually, um, were those two things different? Oh, sure. Well, so we knew for like, probably a couple years, like we were definitely going to go on this trip. My parents had always talked about it and knew that was something that they were going to do for us, for the family. And um, the summer after my junior year of high school, probably like a couple months before, like my parents 
decided it would be good to go to like family counseling just to like kind of emotionally prepare for the trip. And so I thought that was really great. My brother, not so much. <laughs> he didn't really want to talk that much. What also was interesting is my mom went to see someone separately because I think this is very normal for parents or adoptive parents. Like when they, they know their kid is going to meet their first mom or possibly uh, it makes them feel insecure, you know? Um, and so she just wanted to make sure that she got those feelings out and like, um, you know, so it wasn't, it wouldn't come out in front of Jared and I, you know, uh, cause it, this is about us. It's not about them and anything that we're wanting or desire to know our family over in Korea, you know, it, it's nothing to do with, with them or their love is not inadequate, you know, so it's just something different. It's innate. Yeah, I think I just really wanted to meet my birth mom. Like that's that's all I was focused on. I I mean I wanted to see Korea and stuff like that, but I had wondered about her since I was five or six when it clicked what adoption meant. My parents had always used the word adoption, but like I didn't understand I had another mother somewhere else uh, until I was five, and that's when I kind of had um, I had a breakdown. Like when I was really young, I became so upset, and I'm like. If she's so poor that she couldn't take care of me, why didn't you go find her and she can come live with us? Like that was my thinking. Like she's so poor. You guys, we live in this huge house. Um, yeah, go find her and she can move with us. Like what, you know, it didn't make any sense to me as a five-year-old. Um, and um, yeah, my heart was broken. And ever since then, I had always wondered who I looked like, what kind of personality. Sorry, I have a golden retriever. <laughs> if you hear her like making noises. Yeah, so I wanted to know who I look like, where I came from, what personality traits that were similar. And that's what I wanted to know. And the thing is that they found her prior to us leaving shortly after, but she said that she was reluctant to meet me. It wasn't like a phone call or anything. They sent this letter. And then also they decided to send information that they had withheld for 17 years. Uh, like it's like one sheet of paper uh, about like how my my uh, mother and father met, like what the situation was, that they were unmarried. I, I found out that I had two half brothers and on my mother's side and then on my father's side, I had several half brothers and sisters. Um, it was just so much information that it was one piece of paper, but it was like so much information. And I remember I got that and I got the letter that she didn't want to meet me. And I remember like just crying like my heart out when I read those at, right before the trip, you know. So um, I was, I was, I told my mom I didn't want to go at that point. Like, what's the point of going if I'm not going to meet her? I don't care about seeing Korea right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm, Korean Americans rejected me in America, so why would I want to go over there? But um you know, my, you know, through counseling and stuff, we worked it out. And then when we went on the trip, I told our contact there, like, please, like, just tell her I'm here. And I just want to meet her. And this still makes me emotional. But um, so she did, you know, and she had to come meet me in secret because she had gotten remarried. Um, and she brought her sister along for support. And the funny thing is, my parents and brother and I, we all thought I looked more like my aunt than my, <laughs> my birth mother. But I remember when I first met her, like she just hugged me and I felt like the love that I had wondered about my entire life, you know, did she love me? Like, you know, your parents say that, yeah, your mother gave you a lot of love to give you a better life, 
but you still doubt that. You still look at, in the movies and TV shows, the lengths that parents will go to keep their children with them. Yeah. So I remember crying when I first met her, and then and she held me, and she said she wasn't going to cry. She was going to stay strong. I'm like, okay. So we're totally opposite there. <laughs> I'm a, this huge emotional, you know, wear all my emotions on my sleeve. Um, but, you know, we had a meeting. I didn't know Korean, so we had a translator there. Um, and she told me, like, she always knew she was going to place me. That was kind of hard to hear. Well, actually, I processed that later. A lot of things went over, and I, someone was writing down notes that I still have because she was unmarried with the man that she had the affair with, um, and they were both factory workers. And uh, she just said that he, was, oh, he had a good heart. Um, you know, it was hard to hear that she kept my two half-brothers, but I guess because that was from her previous marriage, you know, they wouldn't have been, like, illegitimate. And uh, as an illegitimate child, I, was, I wouldn't have been considered a citizen, so I wouldn't have been able to go to school and get an education. And so all of this was told to me in this meeting. So that was, I think the most important thing for me was that I got to see her and I, got, I knew that she loved me. And then later on, I processed everything and it made me very angry. It's like, even when I was a kid, like, well, I had that breakdown at five, I never was angry at her. You know how some kids get angry at their, their birth mother um, about placing them in the first place or angry at their adoptive parents or being there to adopt them. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, they go through both of those. I never got angry when I was little. Um, I just was angry that they wouldn't find her so she could live with us. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so the anger came like my senior year of high school. And then when I was going to college and processing all of that. So it was kind of like a big identity crisis I went through. It was just very upsetting to me. I mean, the trip overall itself was amazing, like eating the Korean food, like just touring and seeing everything. I love Korea, like just in that sense. Uh, but my brother and I, when we were after the trip, we did a student documentary about our experience over there. Um, and when I did that, it was a very kind of healing experience for me to kind of talk about it uh, through the camera. Um, and tell my story that way. And I felt like as a filmmaker myself, I wanted to definitely do that one day for other people to help show their stories. So I started filming interviews with all different perspectives in the foster care and adoption world um, back in 2012. And I released my first videos in 2013. Yeah, I've been documenting uh, stories from first mothers, uh, um, adoptees, adoptive parents, and then I branched out recently in 2018 to social workers, um, uh, trauma therapists, and um, a legal guardian, and just foster parents. Yeah, what a what a beautiful way to kind of take your story and be able to use it in your work and your passion. And and that brings us right up to Shelby, you and Veronica together. Um, so Veronica, will you tell me kind of how you and Shelby met? I think it was someone else that I had been speaking to that had mentioned Shelby's name to me because she knew that um, we both lived in Florida. I think I may have reached out to Shelby. I can't remember exactly what happened, but um, Shelby, you know, told me that she makes films and she asked me if I would be willing to be interviewed. And um, I told her, sure. And she came down to where I was living at the time 
and uh, she interviewed me. And I believe that's how, how we first got in touch with each other. Shelby, tell me a little bit more about the Rooted Project. Uh, so actually, it was Veronica's idea. And it's so funny because, you know, I these videos, like from early on in 2013 and 14 and 15, I still get messages, usually private messages from people saying how thankful they are for me um, helping other people tell their stories. Because one because some people, it's very difficult for them to articulate in words what they're going through. And so um, one, one young lady reached out to me via Facebook and told me how Veronica's story was so moving to her because she said everything that she had not been able to say herself. And I think these people share the videos to other, you know, their close friends or family to say, this is what I'm talking about. You know, this, this is something I haven't been able to say. And um, when she when she messaged me that she, uh, she also asked me to thank Veronica and we hadn't talked in a couple of years so I I found her contact information and reached out and then we started emailing back and forth just catching up you know I just feel like I meet so many kindred spirits along the way and it's just like you know five years have passed but it really hasn't you know when you start talking again um, and then she talked about this project uh, about making a book with uh where we collect different adoptive reflections um and i'm like i love this idea and i know there's just such a huge push to elevate the adoptive voice and put it at the forefront of everything because we are the ones living this experience so um i wanted to definitely jump on board with her and be a part of this project <laughs> i was gonna say i could probably tell you um a little bit more about where i got the idea for the book yeah um I'm not sure if you're familiar with a book called Post Secret, but it, it came out probably maybe 15 years or so ago. But it was, um, it's by a gentleman by the name of Frank Warren. And one day he decided, you know, wouldn't it be an interesting project if I could have people all over the world tell me something that they've never told anybody like what was their what secret do they have that no one else knows so he created this project and he asked people all over the world to do like i guess a handmade postcard and design it themselves um with you know no name on it it was completely anonymous and write down something that was a secret that nobody else had known before and it could have been like anything um one thing i remember was somebody said that they overuse office supplies because they don't like their job and they hate their boss or something. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was like secrets that really nobody else knew. And I thought to myself, you know, with adoptees, you know, like Shelby said, it's really difficult for adoptees to articulate and verbalize what they're dealing with because, you know, it's so emotional. And then at the same time, we're afraid of what society will say about us because adoptees are often seen as angry and ungrateful. So we keep a lot of a lot of our emotions inside. So I said, wouldn't it be a cool project if adoptees were allowed to say something that they felt about adoption without anybody really knowing who they were? So that's kind of like where the idea of the book came from. I love that. Thanks for sharing. I I had a chance to read the book and one of the things that I appreciated about it was there weren't any common themes outside of adoption. There were so many different perspectives and it really did a great job of illustrating all the different 
lenses and views that and experiences that adoptees have and and there were some that were hard and there are some that were simple and some were long and some were short um and i find that like you said veronica the adoptee has been represented at least in recent years as being hurt and angry and i know that that's been the experience of a lot of adoptees um but it's not everybody's experience and i and i think that for those of us who haven't had a really big hole in our hearts or a lot of big feelings to process or we process in a different way that the adoptee voices is unrepresented kind of in its broadness and its you know diversity and so i love how your book was able to uh, include so many different perspectives and voices. So thank you. I appreciate it. I have no idea how you, you know, pulled all these people out of the woodworks and got them to contribute. It's, it's a much needed work. And so I really, um, really am thankful for the book. And you know what, we actually, um, we had a lot more people that wanted to contribute to the book, but you know, when it came down to it, we only got, you know, about 50, reflections and we extended deadlines and we reminded people and they really, really wanted to participate. But I think when it came down to it, um, you know, because there's that trauma associated with adoption that a lot of people, you know, don't really know about, you know, that adoption agencies don't talk in detail about. And anybody that's gone through a traumatic experience, it's difficult for them to talk about, you know, maybe they have a lot of suppressed emotions and when the time comes for them to actually write down their true feelings, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, and I think a lot of people just became overwhelmed by what they were dealing with. And, you know, maybe it's something that they've never really processed on their own before. So I think it, it just became too difficult for them to do. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's heavy. It, it can be heavy stuff. You know, one of the many complexities of adoption is a lot of times, you know, I can't tell you how many medical forms I've filled out and, you know, just put big X's through huge chunks of them where family history is involved. And, and Shelby, I know you're walking through an experience right now that kind of relates to that. So will you share with us just a little bit about what's going on and how just a close adoption with very little medical history and, and you've even connected with your birth family, but that um, I'm guessing that didn't help you uncover all of your family history that would have been helpful. And so how's that kind of impacting what you're going through now? Yeah, um, just amidst this global pandemic, I found out on um, April 15th that I have stage three breast cancer. And it was something that I noticed. I noticed a lump um, in my right breast. And then I immediately tried to figure out what to do. And so I got a mammogram and an ultrasound just a few days later. Um, and then they recommended a biopsy. They actually said after the mammogram and ultrasound that it could be cancer. And I remember I had, to, you know, I had to go to all these appointments by myself and I was driving home, like tears starting to fall down my face and probably driving 10 miles, 50 miles per under the speed limit. And everything just seemed to like drift to the wayside. And all I could think about was um, it could be cancer, you know? And filling out those forms, oh my gosh, it's just like a stab in the heart. No, I don't know. Like, why aren't you guys as doctors and nurses fighting for the, the adoptees to have open health records? You know, you know how it's important to, to administer 
a full base knowledge treatment is if you know family medical history. So anyways, uh, yeah, that's been hard to say, no, I don't know. And then, um, yeah, after the biopsy results came in, that's when I found out it was cancer. And um, it was a huge shock to me because all my life I've been, I, I feel like very healthy. I mean, when I met my Korean mom, like none of us really thought to really dig deep uh, to ask about family health history. Like, did anyone have cancer? We didn't even think to ask any of that or, you know, um, any kind of rare diseases. Um, um, and I didn't stay in contact with her because we would have to write letters and then they'd have to be translated and then they'd have to be given to my aunt and then given to my mother in secret because she's married. She didn't tell her new husband about me. I was still a secret, which is hard to know um, that she can't be open about that. Um, so we just never stayed in contact. She never reached back out to me because I wanted her to initiate it since I was the one that had initiated it to begin with. I didn't want to like force a relationship and I just never thought about <laughs> the health stuff. Now I did when I was 31 or 30. Yeah, I was about 30, 31 when I went back to Korea on a second a trip to follow another adoptee just looking for information about her family. And we went to two or four, one of our orphanages and she was adopted through KSS, Korea Social Services. So we went there as well. Um, and it was intense. Like the lady had a packet of information like this full and Kathy uh, got to see like this much of it. And a lot of it was just redacted anyways. So um, yeah, it was, that was tough. And I had done a second birth search with no results. So that was, that was pretty heartbreaking for me because I was actually thinking about time to just, you know, actually meet my siblings and my birth father and also maybe reconnect with my mother. Because uh, interviewing all these adoptees, talking about meeting, like uh, Veronica talking about wanting to meet her half-brother and other adoptees actually reconnecting with family other than just their biological mother. Um, yeah, so that just got me thinking. But more on relationships, still not so much on the medical health, health history. And then so everything that's going on right now, since it's still so fresh and new, um, it's been a whirlwind of emotions for me. Um, and I've been documenting it when I can, because I feel like this is so important for adoptees to know, like if you don't have any open family health history, like in your early 20s, this is when I think I should have done it, work with a geneticist counselor to, to screen, to test for if you have any rare hereditary diseases. Because um, I found out that I carried the BRCA, uh, BRCA2 uh, when there's a mutation. Um, and it's and actually Veronica reminded me that in 23 and Me, which we both have done, like they test for that. But apparently they only test for three variants. And it's not common knowledge, but there are over 1,000 variants that could cause cancer. And so, of course, mine on 23andMe said that I did not have a variant in BRCA1 or 2. So I was like, oh, that completely, you know, left my brain. <laughs> Didn't even think I needed to worry about breast cancer. And then I did. So, um yeah, who wants, yeah, you could be super healthy up until your mid-30s or mid-40s and then could be, you know, you get the that you get the wind knocked out of you with some, with a diagnosis like this. Um, it's still, it's still hard to process. Um, I mean, I've accepted it, but 
I think when I found out about the BRCA2 mutation, uh, that's when I first started getting angry because I do, I do try and try and skip the anger stage because I feel like it's, for me, it doesn't do any good. Like I, like I needed to get stuff done. It wasn't going to change anything and I'll, I'll feel angry later. <laughs> but when that, when I found out it was hereditary and had I known that I could have caught this earlier because I keep getting connected to people in different support groups that like, oh, uh, a twin uh, decided to get tested because their aunt had breast cancer and then she was a carrier of the gene. So then the other twin did. And then from early testing, she found it at stage two from an early mammogram and she's only 28 years old because you're not, they don't recommend mammograms until after 40. But if you have, if you're a carrier of one of the, the mutations in your gene, that can lead to breast cancer, then they recommend as early as 25 or 30. Yeah, it just seemed like it popped up overnight. And I mean, I hear those stories from other women too. But yeah, I'm a huge advocate now for open health records and how they need family health records and how they need to be updated as new things come to light. If the family members don't want to have any kind of relationship with their the, the, the baby they relinquished or the kid, you know, okay. But, you know, that is vital information and it can be life-saving and it can also uh, give them the option to do early screening and testing to catch things like this early on before, I mean, mine is stage three, so it's pretty far advanced and it's scary. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Veronica, I know you didn't have a continued relationship with your birth mom. Were you able to keep in touch with any other members of your birth family? Um, I have one cousin who's about the same age as my adoptive parents, and every now and then um, I'll get a text message from her. But you know, aside from that, nobody nobody really talks to me, and I think it's because they just want to keep the peace with my birth mother. And I have a, a it's a large family. My birth mother was one of ten children, and I have um, a lot of different cousins and things. And you know, growing up in a family where I was an only child and you know, I didn't really have any interaction with my cousins. You know, it was it was overwhelming when I found that out. But, you know, right now, I really don't have any relationship with them. Yeah, thanks for sharing. As we wrap up, Shelby, have you go first. Is there anything that you would want adoptive parents who are listening to know? Yes, I feel like I had a wonderful um, adoption because I love my parents. I'm very close with them. But even though all through their love and all through their ability to create a, a safe like environment for me to talk about my feelings, um, I still felt a hole inside of my heart growing up, and I had low self-esteem. It was it was really hard for me um, emotionally, and um, even with all of the help and going to therapy here and there, I guess like even though you can love your parents so much, like. Uh, just know that your your child may still be feeling a, a little bit like something is missing. And that's nothing to do with you. Um, you can support them and help them walk through what they're going through as much as you can. And also, uh, for adoptive parents and, um, like, when your kids are older, like, um, I think adoption is a lifelong journey. And there are so many things that come up uh, that makes you grieve again about different things uh, and remind you of the loss 
in adoption. And for me right now, it's, I carry this hereditary <laughs> uh, thing that gave me cancer. Um, yeah, so that was really tough for me, among other little things that have happened over the years. Like um, my one of my friends, when she's pregnant, she tells me, oh, I talked to my mom if this happened to her when she was pregnant with me. Oh, it just kind of makes me feel a little pain inside that I'll never be able to ask that. So know that even when your adopted kids are adults, like there's still going to be feeling things uh, that will come up just from life experiences that will remind them that this is another loss that they have. It's just loss upon loss, even little losses, but it's just there that so many people take for granted. Yeah. Thank you. What about you, Veronica? What would you want to tell the adoptive families listening? I guess um, one thing that, that I always emphasize with people is mental health and the importance of it. And right now I'm a pre-licensed mental health therapist. I'm working toward my licensure and I've been working in the mental health field for about 15 years. And I have come across so many um, adoptees and people who have come from the foster care system um, in the field. It's, it's just unbelievable. And a lot of times people don't know that adoptees and people who have a background in foster care are four times more likely to attempt suicide than their peers. Um, and, you know, it's because of, I think it's a lot because of the emotional baggage that we have and, you know, just not being given a an outlet a lot of times to oppress, um, to express what we're feeling. Um, I've worked in situations where I have met adoptees who were suicidal. I've even spoken to adoptive parents who did not tell their adopted child that they were adopted. Um, I've worked with kids who had come to me with behavior problems and, you know, it turns out that they have a background, they were adopted, it was a closed adoption, and another therapist before me had labeled it as a behavior issue when they never, ever discussed the trauma that's involved. And it's very important to find a therapist that has some sort of training and adoption competency, because not every therapist does. I mean, I went to graduate school and probably the majority of the people in my class and even a lot of my professors didn't really have a lot of experience dealing with adoptees or the adoption triad and the trauma that's there. So there are therapists that are trained to work with adoptees and adoptive families. It's just a matter of when you're looking for someone that can work with you and your family to ask, you know, know what questions to ask them. And most of the time when you're looking for a mental health professional, they will give you like a free 15 minute consultation. So, you know, make sure you're asking them, you know, what percentage of the population uh, do you work with that are adoptees or, you know, what kind of uh, dairies do you use? And, you know, would you be open to having the, you know, if it's an open adoption, the birth mother or whoever it is participate in the session, you know, and just, make sure you're asking the right, right questions because not every therapist will be able to understand the special needs that adoptees have. Thank you. We are huge proponents here at the adoption connection of, you know, working with a trauma informed and adoption informed mental health provider. And, and you're right. There are 
just there need to be more resources around uh, mental health and especially for kids who've come to their families through foster care and adoption or have early adverse experiences. So thank you for that. Um, thank you both for your stories, for your authenticity here, for your project. Um, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Uh, Shelby, what's the quickest and easiest way for folks to connect to you? Uh, you can just go to my website, uh, wearemirrorlight.com, and then you'll be able to be linked to all of my videos and everything there. And also I have a page for the book as well. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And Veronica, what about you? rootedinadoption.com and you can also find us on Facebook. We have our author page for the Rooted in Adoption and we also have another group page that we um that Shelby just opened up called Rooted in Adoption Conversations. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you, Melissa. I enjoyed that conversation so much. I can never stop learning, you know, because like you said in the beginning, every adoption story is different. Every adoptee's experience, every first and birth mom experience, adoptive parents. And so the beauty of this book is that we can just take in the adoptee experience and the adoptee voice without you know, and they're all different. It's not all the same. And I know that's something that's been a conversation we've had a lot is that not all adoptees experience the same thing. So anyhow, I think this book is very valuable and I, it's a great conversation. Yeah. I really appreciated both of them sharing their stories, the hard parts, the vulnerable parts, and for Shelby sharing her recent you know, medical journey and diagnosis. And, you know, she even just brought to light some things that I had never fully considered about, you know, I always kind of just shrugged it off. I didn't know my medical history. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. And, you know, just her perspective now on, you know, the value of having access to records, you know, different perspectives, different things, just, you know, more and more to learn and think about. So I really appreciate them coming on with us. If you want to grab the book or read more about them, their website is rootedinadoption.com. They're also Rooted in Adoption on Facebook. And then for their individual projects um, and all the places to connect with them, you can head to the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 109. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.